Aloha Maui Nui. Hey, this is Josh Porter. And Jason Furcard. It is Solar Coaster time. Welcome to the Solar Coaster. Good, uh, good to have you in studio here, Jay. How are you? Appreciate it. Nice and snappy here, right? Yeah. Damn. Go, Damn. go, go. This is uh, episode <laughs> 101. This is we're gonna we're gonna touch base on Hawaii Energy Conference. We do have a couple of uh, of, of speakers, of guest speakers, uh, call in, uh, and also a uh, recorded session with Doug McLeod, the chair of the conference. We're gonna cover some of the content there from Elani Media. Just give you a sense of how cool this uh, overall conference was and kind of a broad recap. Yeah, it's something we really can't un understate how awesome it is to have the conference here on Maui in Hawaii uh, and, and have it really be globally recognized. I mean, what we're doing out here, it has the eyes of the world. It sure does. Just got back from California myself, and some of the language I heard describing Hawaii is always good to be outside of the bubble for a moment. Mm -hmm. And uh, the uh, vanguard of the solar industry was the language that was uh, that's being nice, that's thrown nice around a, I like that. A, a conference table <laughs> the size of a school bus in Silicon Valley uh, this last week. So yeah. that was great. Uh, let's go right into our uh, our housekeeping, and we'll we'll take it forward. What do you say, Jay? Absolutely. All right, folks. We are the Solar Coaster, a renewable energy theme talk show here in lovely Maui County. We can be found Fridays at 105 p.m. On Koi, 1110 AM. Also on 96.7 FM Central Maui, 96.5 FM Westside, 98.7 FM Upcountry. www.solar-coaster.com is the place where we host all our previous shows. Now more than a hundred strong. If you have any interest in anything in renewables, whether it's getting solar for your home, hot water, electric vehicles, etc., etc., we've pretty much covered it all. Check out solar-coaster.com and. Uh, Take us everywhere on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Absolutely. Sponsors, Sundrum Solar, Pantac Design, and LG Chem. Thank you to our sponsors for helping keep the solar coaster on the tracks. This is a call-in show, folks. 808-242-7800 is the call-in line. 808-242-7800. Do give us a shout if you have any questions or ideas or you'd like to stump us. Let's jump over to our Pantac Design Minute. Welcome to the Pantech Design Minute. Today's topic, smart HVAC controls. One of the largest consumers of electricity in the average home is air conditioning. How to use your climate control systems in the most efficient way, though, is not always obvious. When no one is home, the normal thing to do is to turn off the air conditioning. But heat is energy, and cooling is just taking away that energy. That's what an air conditioner really does. It just moves the heat out of your home. If you turn off the AC during the day, your house gets hot. And when you come home from work, your air conditioning needs to work extra hard to move all that energy back outside again. For most folks, this is unfortunately when the sun is just going down and you won't be producing any more energy from your solar system. So your AC will either drain your home battery or you'll need to buy power from the grid in order to run that AC at that time of day. Your solar system has charged your home battery already after a few hours of sunshine, but after completing the charge, it either exports at a reduced rate or in the case of a CSS system, just shuts off because there's nowhere to put the energy. So knowing all this, what can we do? What if there was a system that knew when your battery was full and could automatically use your excess solar energy for something useful? Pantech's ADAPT system can do just that. ADAPT will intelligently monitor your energy production, weather reports in your area, and the health of your home battery, and make the appropriate choices automatically so you don't have to. Your electric bill goes down, and your house is already cool when you get home. This has been the Pantech Design Minute. There you are, folks. Pantech Design uh, going at it again. It's such a good idea. Even if you do it manually, chill, pre-chill your home if you have solar. <laughs> it just it makes a whole lot more sense. <laughs> use, use the energy while you have it. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Hey, um, we're going to continue to hear more about Pantech Design, but as I understand it, some of the uh, initial installations of the Sony Ecolinks system and the Pantech uh, Adapt software and Crestron and all of the other smart house tech, they're happening right now across the country. Uh, looks like there's a couple happening in California and one nice. in Los Gatos. We just heard about that. So we may be able to do some shows and get the actual inside house experience. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, looking forward to that. Sounds so, like fun. Time for news and events. Jay. News and events. You sent this to me and I like originally like, why Why would you send me this? <laughs> <laughs> the sun is vomiting globs of plasma at 500 times the size of our planet. Um, this, is, this is more of a fun kind of article about what the sun does on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, huge balls of plasma. It's, it's a much more dynamic thing. You look up at the sun and you see that it's just there, um, but it actually does a lot of, of really violent things. Um, so NASA is reporting that um, between 50 and 500 times the Earth, uh, these balls of plasma are ejected from the surface of the sun pretty regularly, and they slowly move out with the solar winds. When they hit our atmosphere, they can actually distort our magnetic field and interrupt communications, etc., etc. Uh, but it happens um, pretty much 
like every every ninety every ninety minutes it does this, <laughs> and it's just a whether whether one hits us or not. So are these uh, particularly special? What's going on right now? Is this a unique kind of uh, thing? Or? No, it's been going on the entire since certainly before recorded history, long before recorded history, as long as the sun has existed, basically. But we've only been able to really observe them since the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. So we're still learning a lot about our sun. Uh, we know it's going to be there for a good long time, and that's kind of where it dovetails into solar energy and what we're Does, able to what we're able to. I mean, do you think that it has the potential to impact uh, solar systems? And electronics and stuff? Well, electronics, definitely. It absolutely does. It certainly messes up with, with satellites and, and our space-based uh, kind of technology. Um, it, locally, for us, cell phone service would be reduced uh, when there's a lot of interference from these things. Um, but for the most part, I mean, you're not going to get any extra voltage out, oh. of your, out, of, out of your solar system, if that's what you're asking. An extra kilowatt hour <laughs> no. because of the solar flare. Just, just the, because of a solar flare. Because right? of the blobs of solar the plasma. Blobs. It is plasma. <laughs> very, but it's fun. Very good, very good. Well, uh, we, well, there is a way to get a little bit of extra energy that's being uh, worked on right now in this sciencemag.org uh, uh, article about perovskites and about this double double, uh, double whammy for solar. What's going on here? Double dipping. Um, yeah, the science uh, sciencemag.org is reporting on the perovskites perovskites, uh, but a specific new technology. We've talked about perovskite before, where you can actually take a layer that is tuned by, they, they dope the chemicals a little bit, um, and, and change the way the perovskite is shaped, and it'll receive different wavelengths of, a, of light and turn that into electricity. So you can tweak the molecule a little bit and get more of the reds, and then you can mm-hmm. tweak the molecule and make it more of the blues, but you can actually layer them up. So you can have a traditional silicon cell underneath and then have, which generally skews toward red and infrared. And then you could layer on a layer of, of blue receptive uh, material and then pull electrons off of that. They've come up with a different method of perovskite, generating these perovskite, that really is just a film over the solar cell. And it shift instead of trying to directly turn that into electricity, it now just kind of shifts the spectrum. So it's taking more of those, the energy of the red, mm-hmm. red blues, purple, well, the, the blues, purples, <clears throat> green, blue, purple side, and shifting it toward the red. So then the silicon can actually harvest those photons as well. That's, so when we say the blues that would typically be uh, reflected, as we see a blue color in the, in the panel often, right? right? Yep. So those are now being potentially redirected into an infrared, near-infrared light, mm-hmm. and near-infrared uh, yeah, light, right? And yep. then it's being harvested as electricity that way. Right, because right? the silicon doesn't care as long as it sees that red. It's going it, to try to capture those photons. Um, this is pretty wild. Yeah, it's pretty so, neat. So but, do, could, that be a, could that be a retrofit for existing solar panels? I really doubt it. It needs to just spray it on. Yeah, it's just a spray-on coating. Uh, it would be fantastic if it worked that way. I don't know. I'm sure, that's. I mean, that's a great question to ask. But the uh, the boost that they're talking about, they're they're actually talking about getting 20% boost. 20%. Off a panel, which is really. I mean, we're we're moving up like like by one percent by one percent now, and so right? 20% boost is just huge leapfrog of of performance. Mm, mm, mm. I would like 20% more on my roof. On your, on your, <laughs> on your sharp 187. <laughs> hey, hey. Don't be That's abusive. Right. Don't be okay, abusive. Okay, okay, okay. Let's jump over to the, let's jump over the next one. Uh, you want to talk go about... For, uh, oh, this is... Uh, oh, geez. Which one are we on? Are we, gonna, we want to do Hawaiian Electric, or you want to... Where are we? Um, yeah, might as well. Go ahead. Just go so, right into Hawaii. Yeah, right, Hawaii. There's so much Hawaii news this week because we're, we're talking about the Hawaii Energy Conference, but there's actually so much more going on in the world. Uh, Hawaii Electric, which is the parent company for our, all our um, local utilities, Hiko, Miko, Helco, um, is putting out RFPs, which is a request for proposal for their phase two uh, renewable energy project. Now, this is in preparation for shutting down the large plants that we have, the AES plant on Oahu and our own um, oil-fired plant in Ma'alaya. Right. Um, they're going to be shutting down in uh, 2024, 2022 and 2024, um, respectively. Mm-hmm. And it, it, that's a large portion of their generating capacity, 220 megawatt of firm power. Firm power is stuff that's available 24-7 when you need it, and renewables generally don't fall into that category, but they're trying to replace that with renewable energy, renewable generation. And so they're asking for a lot 
of storage. I thought this number was just gigantic. <laughs> right, right. So this is the second phase Correct. of the RP, and and the the approved first phase just came out. Like they just kind of issued that in the yep. in the news about a month ago. Everyone's talking about how we've set precedent for cost of solar plus storage, uh, many um, under, hundreds under 10, of hundreds under of megawatts and and megawatt hours, and then yep. at around ten cents in that territory seems to be the number. So now we're talking about the second phase, mm -hmm. and uh, looks like. Uh, for 2018, the utility reported a consolidated RPS of 27%, three percentage points shy of the next mandated RPS of 30%. And so they're trying to move aggressively to the, meet these milestones and these goals. RPS means? Uh, renewable portfolio standard? I, I actually, thought, I, so. I I, thought I, that's I, what I, it was. I, but I, it's not, I can't click it and see the actual thing. It, it, it's, it's basically the percentage of portfolio of renewables that they have in their energy mix. Right. Right, 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 right. So on April 3rd, the utility approved the overview of the second phase we're talking about here. And here are the numbers. According to a company statement, HECO wants to add 295 gigawatt hours of renewable generation and 1,378 megawatt hours of storage across three islands. Now, 1,370 megawatt hours means 1.378 gigawatt hours. Mm -hmm. Gigawatt, megawatt, kilowatt. Okay, yep. yes. What yep. are we talking about yeah. here? What's going on with a gigawatt hour? 1.3 gigawatt it's hours a thousand, of storage. It's a thousand times your, right. your megawatt. So it's just a, a different way of, of referencing it. That's a tremendous amount of storage. But it's I mean, a we're huge talking about, amount of storage. Yeah, I mean, what, <laughs> what kind of storage has been going like the the, the, the approved uh, on Maui, to think about that in context, the two big approved systems with storage, the first ones with storage, there's that 15 megawatts by Interjex above Maui Meadows and below Kula, yep. right? Yep. That's got 60 megawatt hours of storage. And there's the 60 megawatt AES system here in Kahului that's been approved. And that has uh, 240 megawatt hours of storage. So that's, and this is talking, we're talking here about, uh, you know, a five time multiple of, of, of those combined, right? Five times yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about five times existing storage that's just been approved. Yeah. Approved and, and and basically it comes out. I just quickly did some dirty math, and it is basically like having the Malaya plant running for thirty six hours. Okay. I mean, that's, okay. That's, that's that's the same amount of energy. Was if the Malaya plant was running at max for thirty six hours, thirty six point seven hours straight. That's how much energy. <laughs> Okay. Storage, storage. That actually okay. is okay. Oh, I see. So more than a well, more than a day's worth, I mean, day and a half. Okay, so you're talking about like and that's something we can use from a, from a battery perspective constantly. Correct. Right? I see what you're saying. Okay, and then 295 gigawatt hours. I don't. I'm having a rough time putting that into context. But the bottom line is that they're off. There's a new stage of a uh, new phase of solicitations going on right now. They're also talking about um, towards you as you get further down into this. They they talk about uh, some of the demand services and a variety of things that uh, that they're looking for uh, beyond simply the uh, solar and generation. So the they do mention effect. VPP down here a little bit. Jane. Yeah, refer yeah, to I it did, as VPP. I did, I didn't, they do not, but yeah. um, but it is, it is exactly that. Um, utility is um, basically looking to enlist uh, customer-cited distributed energy resources, so um, batteries, water heaters, um, but electric vehicle charging, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, things that they can leverage to balance the grid in a more effective manner. Yeah, and they talk even a little bit here. They're kind of uh, foreshadowing what we can expect in terms of compensation. Participating customers will receive incentives in the form of a bill credit, while contractors will receive com compensation in the form of management and, and enablement fees. Uh, that is something very special. I haven't seen them talk about effectively VPP uh, as part of this until now. And I was just having this conversation. I'm I, 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 not kidding. Like 24 hours ago, mm -hmm. someone asked me, well, what are they talking about with, with, with VPP? And I said, I haven't seen it being issued by the utilities in actual concrete language. Sure, but it must be on their radar because it's been something that we've been discussing for a long time. Uh, it's certainly been available in the marketplace for more than a couple of years now. It was very, it was still in its very early phases when we first started the show, but that's now two years ago. Um, but it's it's definitely something that can be done, something that will be done in the future where the utility can um, kind of reach in and, and, be, and yeah. help Stores. I mean, they, they can feed more power to your battery if you need it or if they have it, and they can pull if, if the rest of the, the grid needs it just right. for balancing and, and 
ease of use. Well, and there's frequency, lots of different frequency, frequency management, right, all the things that they have to do. There's lots of different types of services that they could uh, utilize those storage assets for. Right? Mm -hmm. And folks, we're talking about you know you could be in a situation where we have like the 11,000 NIMS that are in place right now in Maui. Imagine 11,000 homes with energy storage that have the that have the the capability to be the, the utility can communicate with and interact with in some way and make some decisions about how to utilize those assets. Yeah, one or and then you can as an owner of that asset gain access to some form of credit on your bill. And why is that valuable? Valuable for a lot of reasons. It, 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 but one of the reasons is you could say when someone's buying a storage asset, meaning a Tesla Powerwall, for example, the most mm -hmm. kind of common concept here, or known concept, is that you, know, you, you buy it, you're able to use it to use your solar energy. There's value in that. You're able to get energy security out of it. When the grid goes down, there's valuable value in that. But now we have a third value proposition, and that's being able to provide grid services to the utility and get compensated and get with an on-bill credit. Yes. With a bill credit. And they just said that. This is the world of virtual power plants. Looks like we got to go to Lippelspiel or wherever it is yeah, in Germany. Right. <laughs> We're definitely going to do that one. Okay. Um, just for clarity, the um, a lot of these projects are going to start coming online in 2021, so we're going to see a lot of these things actually popping up all over the place. And uh, the again, that the utility is going to be shutting down the coal plant on um, Oahu and the Malaya diesel plant in 2022 and 2024, okay. respectively. There we go. There we go. Let's jump over to something that's happening nice in uh, from Governor Ige's office. Uh, there's a news release uh, as of the 8th of 2019. Governor Ige announces new program that makes clean energy more accessible and affordable in Hawaii. Folks, this is a very relevant uh, uh, news article here. We're talking about the GEMS Green Energy Money Saver on-bill program, which is the result of a collaborative effort among energy leaders from the public and private sectors. Now, what this looks like to me is that we are uh, we, we're going to be able to have access to uh, funding of renewable energy uh, pro projects in our homes uh, with pretty easy qualifying scenarios. I'm going to read that in a second. And uh, this new program, now the thing is, the GEMS program that had been in place did not have a great track record. So I'm almost surprised. It was unbelievably difficult to navigate. I, I'm surprised they used <laughs> The, that name. I guess there's probably a good reason why. It's probably the same bucket of money or same legislative bucket or something. Mm -hmm. But the bottom line, and we're going to get more information about this, but the bottom line is that um, this is a pretty, it, it, depending on how widespread this is, and we did put a call into the governor's office this morning, but we were a little late in kind of getting the clarification. So we'll probably get it next show. But um, there are only two requirements. Mm -hmm. Customers of Hawaiian Electric Companies, that's all three uh, islands, right? Or, you know, uh, yeah. the, uh, the ones that are serviced yeah. by HEI companies, yes. Yeah, Big Island, Oahu, uh, Molokai, Lanai, and Maui, uh, right? So uh, uh, there are two requirements. Customer Hawaii Electric Companies may must not have had a disconnection notice over the past 12 months. A lot of us can probably do that. Right? I, would hope, I would hope so. <laughs> and the estimated utility bill savings must be at least 10% after the installation, including the repayment. Which almost anybody can Which do. Which is great. <laughs> and check this out. Credit scores and income levels are not part of the eligibility requirements. Which is crazy. They're just not going to do a credit check at all. Well, they're like, you know what it is? This is kind <laughs> if of... If you've been paying your electric bill over the last yeah. year, you basically qualify. Yeah. They're saying that is your credit. <laughs> yeah. You pay your bills. So we're going to fund, and I don't know where the is the parameters how we much, wanted yeah, to get. How much, how much funding and everything else. But we will definitely exciting. get clarity on I mean, this, this but it's great. absolutely fantastic to be able to get government financing for your own homes solar system. Yeah, so we're going to learn more about this as it comes. It is relatively new, uh, and it was, but it's approved, I think, as of December 18, and now we're getting the language about it, and we will get more information shortly so we understand exactly how one can qualify for this. But it looks like it's going to be pretty easy, and it looks like it's going to be very valuable for everyone getting access. And see, to have this funding available now with that ease of access, right, and then to be able, I wonder if it shows up on your D to I, right, if it even does, if it shows up your credit card. <laughs> so you have access to this now, uh, while we have all these programs available. That's been the right. past. You know, these things can be lagging after the programs are available, and then the programs are gone, and yeah, the funding's available, but you can't even get a program anymore. Which, which is the whole conversation right? of, of kind of it being an elitist thing to have right. solar, because if you had the money then you would have done it early, and now and then the, this is, this then the programs are full. This could be a really big deal. Yeah. I'm excited for this. So we're going to get more information, and we're going to share that over the upcoming uh, episodes. So it looks to me like it's time for our uh, commercial run, and when we come back, we're going to be able to learn a little bit about HEC19 and Ted Peck from Holu Ho. Pantech Design is ushering the world into a new age of home energy automation through the convergence of smart home technologies and renewable energy management. 
unifying solar energy production, intelligent energy storage, and smart breaker technologies with smart home devices, Pantech Design's complete home energy automation suite incorporates unprecedented control of lighting, shades, climate, security, hot water, electric vehicle charging, and many other systems. Contact Pantech today at PantechDesign.com. Sundrum Solar is the manufacturer of a revolutionary thermal collector that fits on the underside of your standard PV panel to maximize energy capture per square foot. The Sundrum Solar Hybrid PVT system, combined photovoltaic and thermal, holds the world record for peak efficiency, capturing an astounding 86% usable energy. Learn how Sundrum Solar vastly improves electric, heating, and cooling economics at sundrumsolar.com. LG is a leader in the home electronics industry and manufactures some of the most popular PV panels as well as many other appliances we've come to know and appreciate over the years. The same LG brand offers the LG Chem Rezu battery line for your home energy storage needs. Here in Hawaii, their primary model is the LG 10H Rezu with 9.3 kilowatt hours of usable capacity. The LG 10H Rezu can be used both to maximize consumption of solar energy at home and also functions as a source of backup power in the event that the grid goes down. LG Chem has increased production of their battery line for Hawaii's renewable energy solar market. Contact your local solar provider to learn more about the LG Chem 10H Resu battery. All right, those were our great sponsors, uh, and it looks like LG is doing uh, some kind of made some major changes to their production lines in order to get those batteries available. Once again, this is kind of back down to the syncing up of the necessary pieces of the puzzle. If you have funding, you have product, you have access to utility programs, you have access to full uh, realization of the 30% ITC, which is available, that's the federal tax credit this at 30% year. This, year, <laughs> this year, right? <laughs> All of that being available at a given moment is what makes these things work. So that's pretty fantastic. Um, hey, let's Let's just talk a little bit about HTC 19. We're going to hear from our our, um, our caller in a moment, but there are. Uh, it was a really great, uh, you know, event. Jay, you weren't able to attend. I did get a chance to attend. Uh, Doug was kind enough to get me involved in the back, and I was vetting some of the questions for the panelists. That was really a cool experience. Um, and we have a little bit of information here from Iolani Media about the scope of the actual event. And uh, you know, I'm gonna quote, um, this is Henry Curtis. The sixth Maui Energy Conference, also known as the first Hawaii Energy Conference because of the name change, uh, held at the beautiful Maui Arts and Cultural Center on March 2019. Some 400 people registered for the conference. Maui, 22%, neighbor islands, 52%, mainland, 21%. Uh, international, Australia, Canada, Fiji, Japan, 5%. The bulk of the attendees were from the private sector, 70%, followed by the governmental sector, 18%. And the others were nonprofits and academic faculty and students. Few large groups of, of uh, that sent people out. HECO, about 33 people, University of Hawaii, Johnson Controls, Hawaii Public Utilities Commission, County of Maui, Hawaii Energy, uh, Maui Economic Development Board, Hawaii uh, Island Utility Cooperative, Ulapono, Blue Planet, Carbon Lighthouse. A lot of great players, right? Solar Coaster. Solar Coaster Media. <laughs> yes, yes, folks. And we were pretty notorious there. Um, so they, a lot of great things happened. You know, um, some amazing uh, organizations uh, were, were were panelists or people were panelists. Uh, Brees uh, Zoku of Ampere, we actually did a show with that, uh, that Friday yep. um, of the electrification of aviation. Uh, you also had an MOU signed between the um, Public Utilities Commission of Hawaii and uh, California mm -hmm. uh, in order to do some pretty amazing things. And they describe that as uh, a statement of shared principles, development and use of low and l zero carbon technologies, the promotion of carbon offset programs, all kinds of great things, right? Yeah. So that kind of sets the stage, folks, for what the Hawaii Energy Conference uh, first number one was. And uh, what we can see in the future is probably more exciting stuff. We are going. We do have an opportunity to hear from Doug McLeod and the recap of the show, the end of the show, the chair of the conference, where here's opinion, experience, and then we're also going to hear now from Ted Pack of Holu Ho Energy, who was a panelist, and, and I thought was one of the best panelists, uh, if I may say so. <laughs> um, Ted, are you there? Can you hear us okay? <laughs> yeah, I can hear you. I, 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 I have a problem that I just don't have a good filter between my brain and my mouth. Oh, we have the same problem. For <laughs> yeah, no, it was great. It really got, and I, like I said to you this morning, and when we were there, I just found it to be like direct to the point, understandable. And this is in an environment where you know sometimes this language can be difficult to approach for for all of us. Uh, you know, what's even, going on? even if we live people, it day to day. Right? I think people's natural tendency when they're on a panel is that they're they're always <clears throat> running through um, their mind. Uh, who can I offend with this next sentence that I'm about to deliver? Uh -huh. And so they hesitate, 
and or they choose to say, well, I'm just going to filter everything and say moderately nothing. There you um, go. That's not going to be offensive to anybody, but but won't be provocative and thought thought-producing. That's, so it's I, don't, a, I don't do that very well. Yeah, you definitely didn't. And, uh, but uh, the, the, it, what's, what I find interesting is that we're in a time right now where, there, where, and, and, where it's kind of dangerous to be uh, super, super careful. We need to move aggressively, in my, my, my sure. opinion, right? Sure. We need to be able to move uh, assertively, if I can use that terminology. Uh, you know, we have climate change uh, in front of us. We have uh, these you know, very aggressive renewable energy mandates. We need to make progress. And uh, I don't know if it's the time to be worrying about, you know, whose toes we step on, you know, by, by saying things a little bit incorrectly. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. So I guess maybe that's why I, you know, I kind of share that viewpoint, Ted. Um, so thank you very much for coming on board the solar coaster. Uh, and we're really excited to kind of hear about what you're doing and what your experience was at the conference. Why don't we start off by just uh, kind of learning a little bit about you, Ted. Can you give us your background and who you are and kind of what you do? Yeah, sure. I, uh, I moved to Hawaii in 1991. Well, the Navy moved me here. My submarine came to decommission at Pearl Harbor Naval Shipyard. And, um, and I, I tried to leave. So I didn't come of my own will, and I tried to leave, but I failed in doing that. So I very much uh, I do love Hawaii, and I, um, you know, I've been here for over half my life. And uh, I, I just have come, you know, it's, it's interesting when you talk to people that have lived in Hawaii for 10 years, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm from Hawaii, <laughs> you know, and I've lived here for almost 30 years. And I'm like, I recognize that I'm a sojourner uh, uh. and, uh, you know, want to honor uh, the local culture um, in whatever way possible. But it, so I, I was I was an Air Force brat. So I moved around. I've actually lived in 11 states. 37 addresses, um, and uh, when I first left the Navy, I worked, I taught middle school here in Oahu, and then worked for Booz Allen for 12 years doing okay. defense work. That came to an end, and I um, I had a relationship with some folks at the state, and as it happened, um, there was a number of retirements in the state energy office, so I, I took that opportunity, moved to the state energy office, and within a year was, was running it. Um, wow. And it was a very propitious time being there at the kickoff and formation of the Hawaii Clean Energy Initiative. So, um, and we, you know, in conjunction with the 2008 financial crisis, we got a bundle of stimulus money. And so we had the opportunity to really take, you know, some found money and really shape it for the broadest and, and deepest impact uh, for the Hawaii Clean Energy Initiative. That was just a great, tremendous experience. Um, I left the energy office uh, to go try to buy HEI, which was an interesting experience in and of itself. It wasn't really a hostile taker. It was really more of a privatization that just became very tumultuous. And uh, we learned a lot. I think everybody learned a lot. And it, you, we're talking um, about the, the next era acquisition or pr prior to that? Yeah, prior to that, actually, next era, uh, Jim Robo told a friend of mine that we were his inspiration. No kidding. Um, yeah, so of course the right answer to that. So where's our inspiration fee? Um, <laughs> and of course there was no inspiration. Um, so yeah, our it was called Kuokoa, K-U-O-K-O-A, um, which means truth in Hawaiian, and um, it was a great experience, and I think it changed the conversation around the utility you know when i my last year at the state we just had a real sense that you know the utility strategic objective was the biofuel to meet the rps and uh to my mind that was really suboptimal on a societal level um of course we're in a way different world now um which is is good news um so anyway i, I did that for two years and then i was at johnson controls for a year and a half um, really learned development. Um, what I was, we ran out of money at Kuokoa, so I started doing development just to pay the mortgage. And uh, so I've been developing behind the meter PV and PV plus storage really since 2012, so mm -hmm. the last seven mm -hmm. years. Okay, okay. And then were you doing that under which company? Well, I, I did it at Johns Controls. I did it under my own company, Tianshan Renewable Energy. And then uh, when I left Johns Controls, they, 
they reorged my responsibilities back to the mainland. Um, I said to myself, well, I failed at this long enough to know what I'm doing, so I just continued <laughs> doing development. Um, I get and uh, I contracted with this company <laughs> then called ZVB. Yeah. Um, they were interested in the uh, PP storage market in Hawaii. Um, and so we just kind of continued down that road. And then in 2015, we uh, said, let's take the next step. So we created Holu. Um, you know, I took my pipeline and ported it into Holu, and we continued, you know, hired some folks and really continued in that space, really doing the CNI development. And then uh, Holu um, was basically a passenger on NSYNC, uh, which is what ZVD became. Um, the uh, the board basically flew the plane into the ground, and uh, I couldn't get Holu out the door. So uh, I jumped out, and some other folks jumped out, and we reconstituted into Holaho, which means new resilience, which I think we have personified. So Absolutely. Cool. So let me ask you: we, Jay and I have covered a lot of the uh, projects, the PPAs, and when we were uh, over the course of the last year or so, that NSYNC and Holu were engaged in in Hawaii, and there was a lot. And I, when I saw you at Hawaii Energy Conference uh, a month ago, you know, one of the first things I asked you was how many, because I had a rough time kind of seeing the boundaries of that. And you did a lot of business, and you did some really interesting <coughs> business too, like some you yeah. did some peer to peer, you know, a share, it, within a single mm-hmm. TMK sharing of energy with solar and storage and you know, some really kind of groundbreaking things. So what was the scope of that business here in Hawaii? Well, altogether, I think we, um, altogether, I have developed about 50 PPAs, mm-hmm. um, behind the meter PPAs. Um, we did some of those when I was at Tanchon in conjunction with then ZBB that became NSYNC. And then over the last three years, we've done about probably half of those we've done in the last three years, well, a little over half. Okay, so a couple dozen in the last few years, and those are so primarily years, yeah. uh, like uh, condos or businesses or the multi. Like, what what's the scale of these kinds of things? I, my my read on this is it's a in the hundred, two hundred, three hundred kilowatt range, generally speaking. Sometimes with storage, uh, often more more recently, often with storage as well. We have done. Um, I've done projects as small as twenty kW, which those are really hard to finance. The donut hole. Um, hard to make. This doesn't make sense, but it, you know, that's for a church, you know, so it yeah. kind of makes helps them on their budget. And and really, if we want to get, um, um, if we want to get to our goal, uh, and I think uh, HEI is kind of you know the Heco companies have kind of come around to this that we're going to have somewhere between thirty and forty percent of our energy coming off of rooftops. Um, yeah. We on Oahu, especially, simply don't have the room to paper over all our land with um, PV fields, and there simply isn't the tolerance in the community to have a windmill on every corner. I think you Maui know, y- y- is kind of uh, the community is kind of like, yeah, let's you know, there's not a lot of appetite for right. the next. You know, you know, Ted. Um, it, one of the um, the groups, and I cannot remember the name, but it was affiliated with the University of Hawaii, and they had a showcase up in the um, in the in the in the in the vendor room at the conference, and they had this projection map over a three dimensional. Uh, image of Oahu, right? So you had a projector yeah, coming yeah. down, and they showed, and it was this was all data driven. It was amazing. They had little interactive c- components to it, right? You could show and change the. You could look over the chronology, the development, the implementation of renewable energies on Hawaii for different percentages of different types of technology, and then of course you you could look and see what it would take to do a lot of ground mount utility solar scale in Oahu, and you're like, oh my goodness, there's solar everywhere, yeah. <laughs> you know? It's simply, yeah, it's just. There simply isn't going to be the appetite for that. It's yeah. just it's just the reality. I, I, I'm not you know, I'm not being making a judgment statement. I'm just um, articulating the feedback that we've gotten. That's just there just isn't an appetite for that. So it's gonna be roof, a lot of rooftops, so that's good for people because they have the opportunity to participate potentially, right? And Right, and what the other thing that changes is it changes the whole dynamic. I think in the beginning of this journey, uh, the utility was in a position right. where they were losing load, therefore they're losing revenue. You know, we decoupled to mitigate that natural pressure 
that the utility felt. Um, and and frankly, the you know the utility has you know if you look at the eco service area, they've really got about between fifteen to twenty percent of the energy coming from renewables. They need to they need to quadruple that here mm-hmm. in the in the next you know decade or so. You know, um, so they they have a task to do that. What we're doing is we're taking, you know, we're taking work off their plate by the market driving that as well. And and I would just restate this. You know, um, the, the Sunrun guy, when he briefed, he had uh, my data on one of his slides that showed that <laughs> it really the largest single con- contributor to renewable energy in Hawaii is rooftop solar, forty percent. Forty percent of our renewable energy comes from rooftop solar today, and we're going to see that grow. You think, or you're going to see that stay the oh, same? I think we'll see a triple. No, I think we should see a triple. You know, I'm I'm in downtown Honolulu. I look out across the roofs. There, you see a lot of solar. Yeah, but you see a lot of roofs without solar. Mm. There's still a lot of roofs that are viable roofs that that don't yet have solar. Yeah, really, and really exciting. It is a cost-effective way for us to get that renewable on our grid. It's exciting. It's exciting. We get. Um, we're, we're, it's exciting to think that there is really, legitimately, a new wave of uh, solar happening in the industry coming right in front of us. I mean, that. Do you? What's your read on the timeline of this? Do you feel like it's? I, I, I like this this term hockey stick. I overuse it a little bit too much, but I mean, it's like this notion of we're at this uh, percentage. We're at this one in five or one in four, whatever it is. You know, rooftops with solar. When do you think it's going to really start to ramp? Is it right around the corner? Do you have any predictions? <laughs> Well, if you if you look at uh, the rate of implementation of solar, which is really kind of the rate of change of that graph, um, we had a an inflection down when NEM went away. Yeah. Right? Because thirty percent year over year reductions. Yeah. I understand it. Yeah. No, it was it was huge, and then another thirty percent. One of the one of the uh, it was uh, um, Isaac on my panel talked about that. Yeah. You know, so market conditions matter, and solar. Um, has been very vulnerable and very re- responsive to really two things, you know, inter- um, interconnection and um, and tax credits. Yeah. You know, we're about to see over the next 10 years, we're going to see a ramp down of tax credits uh, unless, unless things are weird. Um, and there may be an extension. You know, there's uh, Congress is talking oh, about yeah. extending credit. Oh yeah. So I wanted to take it off the table, and that is not as red green or red blue as people think it is. It is actually moderately bipartisan, and I would actually assert that a lot of the blue states have a lot of solar. So now the red states are going to say, "Well, hold on, you guys got a tax credit." Oh, uh, we're going to take advantage. They're of it telling now. their legislators we should have that tax credit too. Wow, so it's bipartisan, um, so we, it, it could have a shot at an extension. Um, it, 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 yeah, yeah. But, but it's not something to bank on, but it's possible. But it, it, all that does is create uncertainty, and that, that makes solar a challenge. You know, we, we've seen the price of inverters drop way low. We've seen the price for panels drop. I mean, I hear, I hear you can get panels, depending on what you want, you know, 50 cents is kind of market. You can get oh, yeah. lower than that. Oh, yeah. Um, but that's 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 like, you know, it used to be two, three bucks a watt panel. Yeah, panels right? so kind we of just turned into commodity. Stunning almost, drop. Yeah. And, and even I was reading in an article recently, storage has dropped 35% over I, the last year. I saw that. I you saw know? that. So that's going to continue to go down as well. So what's the method? we got just about a minute left here, uh, Ted, and I'm really, I appreciate you coming on, and I think we're going to definitely get you in here for a full main show focus and learn more about Holu Ho and what your game plan is for the future. But just as a, as a, to wrap this up, I mean, what can we do to, um, to accelerate this? What, what's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the teaser? What's the basic approach that you, you see making all this happen? The biggest uh, DOE uh, projected you know, the, the, a dollar a watt overall by 2030, and one of the things that was baked into that was the cost of acquisition went down to nothing, oh, and yeah. the cost of permitting and interconnection yeah. went down to next to nothing. We have to figure out how to drive those costs. Permitting and interconnection 
definitely are not going in the right direction. Cost client acquisition. We just got that gems on bill financing program. That might impact that a little bit. Uh, having yeah, financing we've done available. Two projects with the on bill financing. Nice, nice. Well, hey uh, Ted, thank you so much for coming on. Like I said, I really enjoyed uh, seeing your panel at uh, Hawaii Energy Conference 19. Looking forward to hearing more from you and Holu Ho uh, as we kind of see more and more of these homes take get solar on roof and and how you're going to help facilitate that. So thanks again for your time, Ted, and then uh, we'll touch base soon. I hope. Pleasure to connect with you, Josh. Thanks. All right, aloha. There you go. There you go. That's a that's a good. It's kind of an optimistic look at what's happening here, Jay. Yeah, and he's been in the neighborhood of the industry forever and ever and ever. So really, a long term perspective on what's going on. I felt like the, he had some. He was uh, <laughs> definitely seasoned, right? Yeah. So uh, very has good. Been very riding the coaster for a good <laughs> long sure time. He sure has. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna jump over to uh, here directly from Doug McLeod, chair of the conference, and this is a closing recap uh, interview that we did just as the as the how uh, energy comments have, had wrapped up. So we're here at Hawaii Energy Conference 2019, the new moniker in full force with Doug McLeod, chair of the conference, former Renewable Energy Commissioner, DKK Energy Services LLC, a bunch of other great titles. How are you, Doug? I'm, I'm great. This has really been a fun couple of days. So we're at the kind of tail end of, we just finished the last session, right? And we're here and we're probably gonna have a, a, maybe a beer or something like that and just enjoy ourselves for a little bit. So uh, what is your primary takeaway? I mean, how was the experience this year in, in contrast with some of the other years? Uh, what is the feeling that you have right now after that whole experience? You know, this year we started off with some ideas about trying to do justice to solar and you know the idea here really is that solar is Hawaii's claim to fame that's what got it going so we started the first day with really a half day just devoted to solar and I thought that was really good you know we had the founder of Sunrun we had uh, you know quite a people few people talking about what are the available programs today everything from NEM and NEM plus on to CGS CGS plus and and the others so I was really glad that we were able to do justice to that on solar. If you said, how does this year really stand out from other years, I'd say that the biggest thing that stands out to me is the number of actively serving commissioners from other states that are now willing to fly all the way to Maui to participate in our conference. You know, our little island had the president of the California PUC, the chairman of the California Energy Commission, and commissioners from Rhode Island and Hawaii. It's hard when you're a taxpayer-funded government entity to justify traveling to Hawaii. And the fact that so many are, are willing and able to take that political risk of, of going in and saying, hey, this is a legitimate business trip to Hawaii, that tells us that we're on the right track. And it's proof that there is something going on in Hawaii that's of interest to other people. That says quite a bit right there, right? So what was it for the, the commissioners from California? What, what do you think, did they tell you when, you when you reached out to them? Did they give you a sense of what motivated them to take the trip and take a time out of their schedules? You know, why are they here? I think what's happened is really two things. First, the 100% RPS law has now been out there long enough and there are enough other states adopting it that we're getting some credit for being an early leader on that. So some people are coming just because we have that bit of history. Uh, the other thing, to be honest, is that our current Hawaii PUC commissioners are, are kind of renewable energy ambassadors for us, really not just in the mainland, but frankly, Australia, Asia. So I just think we're at a moment in time where our energy conference is completely aligned with what our PUC wants to do in terms of getting the word out, bringing in expertise from outside. So it's, I would call it a virtuous circle where the prominence of our PUC nationally is rising at a time when our conference is able to you know, step up and commit to bring people to Hawaii. I mean, one of the problems, if you want to put on a conference here in Maui, you better be able to afford to fly people here. And, and so, you know, we need these different aspects. We need an ability to get the right people to Hawaii, and we need commissioners like this that make it an attractive trip. 
So a couple of other conferences that were in place, as I understand it, uh, moved out of Hawaii or have ceased to continue. Uh, I'm not sure the names of all of them, but so is the Hawaii Energy Conference going to become the kind of de facto, is going to become the benchmark for everything else to follow? Is this going to be the one? I think, you know, at this moment you'd say we're the last person standing. But there have there has been competition, and frankly, I tell our people that we should always assume that there's going to be future competition. So uh, it's true that we've taken the name and we've kind of occupied the territory and say we do consider ourselves absolutely to be the leading energy conference in Hawaii. But if you look at just the the calendar year, we're only doing this once annually. There may well be room in Hawaii for two conferences that are better separated. One of the problems and one of the reasons why Verge couldn't compete with us is they were trying to do it, you know, 60 days after our conference. And so I think that was a problem. If we did ours in March and someone else did one in September, October, you know, there, there might be room for two. I just had a really great um, opportunity to speak with Kyle, uh, Kyle Dada of New Energy Partners, I think was the, the company and uh, the organization, and he told me all about this great uh, kind of uh, mutual exchange of information and ideas between what's happening in Puerto Rico and here in uh, Hawaii. And I wonder if this type of conference is going to help other environments. If people are coming out here to learn and if they're going to take those ideas back. I mean, this is one of the ideas that we've had about Maui and about Hawaii for years, right? It's could we become a beacon, a, a light, a, a symbol of what's possible, and then could other environments be inspired by that? Do you see this conference playing a role in that in that regard? I do, but I think that the reality is that we in Hawaii are competing with a number of other places that have similar progressive agendas. And so, you know, are we going to stay in the lead? You can look at other places in New Zealand. You can look at uh, some of the islands in Europe, and you can look at, you know, what's being done around the world. But at this moment in time, we are still very much a leader in terms of distributed energy, in terms of solar. and. In terms of energy policy, we're not the only leader, but we're still in that forefront right now. What are some of the other ones that you see uh, peeking out there doing really remarkable things? Well, California is the obvious one, and, and on that, you just got to say that they have changed everything in terms of storage and, and some of the ways that they're looking at that. But other places are very interesting, and I think Vermont is a place that's come here a couple times. A couple points on that. One, that's one of the few states where we had a regulated utility offer the customers in-home behind-the-meter batteries. So that's a really different approach. And so Vermont, I think, has some very interesting things going on. Minnesota now has some very interesting things going on. Uh, C Colorado has some competing philosophies, so probably by this time next year it'll be clearer where they're going, but they're clearly a leader in climate issues. Uh, so those are just a few of the states, and frankly New York as well. I think Washington State is another one where if they ever can reach a greater consensus on carbon, you know, that's been rejected by the public in Washington State at this point. So. You know, the leadership in government there seems to be maybe a few years ahead of the general public as far as a willingness to act. But that's another state. And then let's not forget Canada. I mean, frankly, uh, B.C. Is, is plenty progressive on all this stuff as well. So we've got all this new new policies and new legislation happening, kind of a little brush fire of renewable energy mandates going throughout the country. One could argue maybe that started here. And uh, we also have this new Green Deal uh, discussion in D.C. What do you think about what's going on with the feds right now in the federal conversation, the full national level scale? Well, I guess I'm like everyone else. It seems like there's only one person that people are watching politically, and that's AOC, and, and people are really interested. I mean, you know, I think that, it, you know, for me, it's just nice to turn the conversation towards something that's hopeful and positive. And, and even if you don't like all the details of, of that particular approach, there's no reason why renewable energy should be partisan or political. There are so many reasons why conservative people like it, have it the control, cut the cost. There are reasons why, you know, progressive people like it in terms of climate impact. It's just, it, it's unnatural to me for renewable energy to be 
in the middle of the culture wars. It's unnecessary, you know? Yeah, it feels certainly uh, at SBI this year in 2018 in Anaheim, we heard the initial sessions and they were discussing, they had a couple of marketing people from different industries come on and talk about how to approach and message the same basic content about renewable energies to different, I guess, demographics or different groups of people around the country that for whatever reason may not be embracing renewables right now, but uh, the general message was that you got to take the same thing and say it a little bit differently for a different group of, of people. And I love the, I don't know if you remember the, uh, one of the analogies or one of the discussions was the fella that drives a Prius and drinks a latte on one side of this imagined spectrum and the guy that has an F-150 and a, and a Coors Light, they both need renewable energies in their lives and they may, may just take them in for different reasons and maybe it's energy security that kind of uh, t uh, attaches itself to that, you know, one fictitious character that I just painted, you know, very polarized, of course, purposefully. But, uh, and so that kind of gets me excited because that says, hey, there's an opportunity to really broaden the market in renewable energies, both on the, you know, on the individual level, but also in terms of how they, how constituents support their policymakers uh, throughout the country. I, I think you just said it perfectly. I, I really don't have anything I can add to that. That's completely right. Yeah. Excellent. So this has been, uh, well, this has been Doug McLeod here, uh, chair of Hawaii Energy Conference. Great sessions, great people, really uh, very busy, active kind of uh, session. So thank you so much. Our pleasure. Our attendance was up 25% this year. We must be doing something right. All right. Rock and roll, Doug. There you go. That was uh, said it all. Really, uh, you know, Doug had a. You know, it seemed like he was really uh, pleased with the conference and a lot of great uh, yeah, absolutely activities. Should, yeah, absolutely should be. I am very salty that I didn't get to go. Yeah, yeah you missed a lot. You missed a lot. <laughs> I missed a lot. Uh, but I got a lot out of it myself, and I was like, I, I felt like you know the bottom line is that we're seeing action taking shape right there at the conference when it happens, and we're getting new new areas to find and new goals kind of set, kind of percolating right around this time, right? So it's all kind of it seems like it's a uh, it's a uh, it's certainly a a very relevant um, uh, conference for people in the energy industry. Uh, so good stuff this year. Looking forward to hearing about what the plans are for next year. Do you, we actually have an opportunity to cover future focus with you here, Jeff? Absolutely. Shall Yay. we do it? All right. So and coming from Science for Students, don't laugh, <laughs> sciencenewsforstudents.org is uh, reporting about shape-shifting chemicals. Now, this is an article about chemistry for, it, it's targeted at, at, at probably high school, I believe, but it's actually really, really fascinating. They went to uh, Sweden and talked to a particular chemist, Kasper Moth. Polson, who's been working with other Swedish and Spanish uh, chemists to create a new type of battery technology. Now, this is actually storing energy in the in, in a particular molecule. They were creating a, a really, really difficult to pronounce ruthenium um, molecule um, that reacts to uh, light. And when it does when it, when it does capture a photon, the molecule snaps into a different shape and stores the energy in an, an electron bond. Now that's all fine, well and good. It's got the energy all captured in there, and it can but it can sit there for an, an, an almost indefinite period. It's one of those things like hydrogen. You know, you can kind of just store the energy. And the cool thing is that they now have a catalyst, which is basically it's like a salt. It doesn't really um, get used up in the reaction, but it does help facilitate the release of that energy. And so when they run the liquid chemical back over this salt it will raise its temperature up to 114 degrees as it releases the energy. So you can actually oh. get a huge amount of, from, from room temperature to 114 degrees. And that's so a, there's a significant thermal differential, which you then can capture and use for something like heating your hot water or heating your home or even electrical generation if you have a, a way to do that. So right. really, really fascinating that they can do this stuff. And I'm glad they're actually targeting students because it made it a whole lot easier to understand. Right. <laughs> ScienceNewsForStudents.org. Go check that one out. We should use this, uh, it's, it's use this more fun. often. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Makes it easy. <laughs> Very cool. Nice explanation. Yeah. Thanks, Jay. So using bonds to store energy rather than uh, like an electrochemical like, like lithium mm, storage. Little, little lithium battery, right? right? Gotcha. Something like that. Cool stuff, cool stuff. Okay, folks, this has been the Solar Coaster, episode, episode 101. 101. All right. Sponsored, <laughs> sponsored by Sundrum Solar, Pantech Design, and LG Chem. Great to have you in studio today, Jay. Thanks Dude, very appreciate much. Appreciate it. Yay. All go right. Get, go get solar. Go get some sun this weekend. <laughs> Aloha, folks. Have a great Friday. Thank you.